Thank you, my colleague. Hi, everybody. My sobriety date is March the 12th, 1966, and I'm sober to the grace of God. I feel like anonymous. A lot of love and a lot of support from my sponsor and um, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to thank um, David for calling me and the committee for inviting me out here to share with you. This has been a, a really a super four days for me. I got just exactly what I needed. And um, I, I guess it all started um, when Jim picked me up at the, uh, the airport and brought me in here, and I found out he was in the finance business, a banker. It's amazing how I could sit there and communicate with this person, because I was still like in a finance business myself when I was drinking, and we called it a loan shark business. So, <laughs> we were lending five dollars out and getting six bags per week, and um, we did this down the waterfront. And the law sort of frowned upon this because the high rate of interest was twenty percent at those days, and uh, we were just ahead of our time because now everybody's charging about twenty percent. Want a dollar, and uh, came in here and I caught that old timers meeting Thursday night, and I love old timers. I love old timers. I came in AA and I, I heard the word old timer and I asked my sponsor. I said, "What's an old timer in AA?" He said, "For you, anybody who's sober one day longer than you." <laughs> and then the following morning, I had a chance to have breakfast with uh, with Gene, one of the speakers. And it's fascinating, you know, what happens then is happening now. We're all doing it the same way. We're staying sober day at a time. And um, and then the kickoff meeting really got me charged up. So much enthusiasm, so much laughter. They told me when you learn to laugh at yourself, it's a sign of getting well. Because it sure wasn't my last thing when I came out for Anonymous. Um, I guess um, when I first came out for Anonymous, I was 23 years of age. I was in the spring of 1964. And I came in, and I wasn't looking for alcoholics anonymous. I had to be on a drunk. I ended up into a church, and I talked to this preacher about what was going on in my world. And for the first time in my life also, I put my head on the table and I started crying in front of another person. And to me, you never cry where I came from. I was a street drunk, a barroom drinker. And you just don't cry. It's a sign of weakness. Big boys don't cry. Sissies cry. Cowards cry. And yet I put my head on the table and I started crying. And I didn't know what to do about what was happening in my world. And he said, look, I got a member of my congregation who's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And maybe this guy can help you. Now, I don't know what I was looking for, but I guarantee you, you know, anything had to be better than what I had. And I found myself going to my first AA meeting. And I was a late bloomer by today's standards as far as drinking. I had a very short drinking career. I didn't start drinking until I was about 14 or 15. And, uh, I mean, my God, I've seen people in the program now sober at 15 years of age, 14 years of age. I'll tell you what's fascinating is, is coming in here, and finally I got sober when I was 25, and um, there was no young people in AA in my area anywhere back in the 60s. Uh, I remember my sponsor first came in. He said, well, they're at a meeting across town. We'll go over there tomorrow night, and we'll show you some young people. And I went across town the next night, and there was no young people there. He said, well, I think they're on the east side. <laughs> 
buy me some time is what he was doing. And um, I used that excuse for not being sober when I first came to AA. When I used to go to meetings, and I'd sit in these chairs and i hear these speakers speaking, I thought I had to, like, prove it to you that I was an alcoholic. Um, we had guys at the meeting like Foxcar Smitty and, you know, John from Under the Bridge and, you know, the Baltimore Traveler and different names. And, and um, I was at a meeting one night and a guy said, I drank for 28 years. Another guy said, I drank for 31 years. I said, do I hear 32 years, 34 years? It's like a contest how long we have to drink. And then I heard another guy say, I drank a fifth a day. Another guy said, I drank two cases of beer a day. I said, do I hear three fifths a day, four fifths a day? It's like a contest. And he says, not how See, I felt like I got cheated. I said, God, I wish I could have drank for 39, 29 years or 31 years. I had a guy take me home one of my first meetings and... Um, he said, you're going to have a lot of fun being sober young. And I went home to that meeting that night with him and his wife, went to his house. They didn't have tape, uh, cassette recorded, uh, tape cassettes. Then they had the old reel-to-reel tape. He throws on this old reel-to-reel tape. It's a, it's a Friday night, which is, I drank every night, but Friday night, you had a little extra money. It was a lot more action on Fridays and Saturdays than during the week. And that's an action night out there in the streets. He said, you're going to have a lot of fun being sober. And he put this old reel-to-reel tape on from someone speaking from a way, way south, and I couldn't understand his language, like you probably can't understand mine. And his wife fixed me a bowl of ice cream and put some jimmies on top of it. And she had a pussycat jumping from one chair to another chair. And I'm saying, this is exciting. I'm really going to have a lot of fun being sober young in AA. I thought this was going to be the most boring thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. I could just, I could just see me sitting somewhere in a corner, just sitting there saying, you know, whoa, is I could just picture me getting cobwebs on me and just sitting there watching the world go by and... Anyway, I didn't say it put me out. I'm one of the lucky ones who went out and, and got back to our course anonymous. And uh, I saw a lot of drunks go out and take a drink and never get back to our course anonymous. You know, we're the lucky ones. To come here and get sober, stay sober. Now, I didn't sit out to be an alcoholic. I came from a family, seven children. I was down visiting my mother, um, Monday, she was in the hospital, and she's going fine. My daughter, my grandson down there. And um, my mother's 74 years of age. She's never had a drink in her entire life. My sister got married about three weeks ago, and she wouldn't even take the champagne. She just doesn't drink. I mean, she, she just dumped it and got a glass of ginger ale. My father is 77 years of age, and he's had maybe a half a dozen drinks in his whole life. He just doesn't drink. I've yet to see any of my brothers and sisters in trouble drinking or drugs. I've got two children. I've got a daughter, almost 26, but I've got a son to be 31 next month. And uh, I started young. And um, I've yet to see any problem in their life with drinking or drugs. So I don't know whether when I started drinking, I try to make up for the whole family for what happened. 
But I took to drinking like a duck takes the water. I loved it. And I look back on it, and it's, it's nice to be able to stay sober and look back on your life. And I look in retrospect, I, I, I can see that I was a setting duck for drinking. If it wasn't alcohol, it would have been drugs. It would, it, it would have been something to help me deal with life. As much trouble as I got into with my drinking face, it probably saved my life. It probably it saved me from maybe uh, going insane or committing suicide somewhere along the way. And um, I'm also convinced that I think you got to drink to be an alcoholic. You know? I think you can have a lot of feelings, but they don't mean nothing. A lot of you, feelings are feelings are feelings, but you got to drink to be an alcoholic. I, I, just, I just don't think you're born. I, I hope you say I was born alcoholic. I, I have a hard time picturing May the 21st, 1940, when I was born, a doctor bringing me in my mother saying, Congratulations, Brandon, we got an eight pound, three ounce baby alcoholic. You know? <laughs> I keep it simple. I think you got to drink to be an alcoholic, and I, I think you got to stop drinking to get sober. <laughs> you can come to meetings seven nights a week. You can get Mr. Miss AA as your sponsor. You can join the group in your area. You can walk around the AA with a big book under your arm. You can look nice. You can say the right words, but I'll tell you what: if you don't stop drinking, it don't mean nothing. You got to stop drinking to get sober. That's where it all starts. So here I am, I'm a flaky, mixed-up, weird little kid, and the best way I can describe myself as a child, I'm the kind of kid growing up that your parents didn't want you to play with. <laughs> Stay away from him. I was a tech-bad boy, and I lived in a fantasy world. Always have been feeling most of my life like I was always inadequate, very insecure, feeling I never fit in. I feel like I was never really loved, never really wanted. Life to me was sort of like a big, big mystery, and I don't know how to deal with it. A lot of times very painful, very shy, very bashful, very insecure. I'm the kind of kid, like, to me, standing up and sharing with you is a miracle, part of the miracle, because I'm the kind of kid, when I went to school, the teacher said, do come up front and give a report, or I'm going to fail you. I say, fail me. There's no way I could stand in front of even a classroom of 25 kids and give a report. I'll tell you what kind of kid I was in school. I'm the kind of kid who sat in the back row. We call it dummy's row. And we'd sit back there and we'd carve our initials on this desk and we'd throw paper wide and shoot rubber band clips and, and we'd cheat on our tests. My sisters were all making the honor roll. I'm just praying to get a D. Just to get by. I'm not looking for no honor roll. I'm just, I'm just sort of getting by any way I can. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school. We had a, a senior come in, and she wrote on the blackboard in, in September, fail now and avoid a June rush. And I, I, took, I took that for granted a lot of times. But I'm the kind of kid, and all the little sissies in class, all the little brownies, they sit in the front row. They waved their hand when they had all the answers for all the questions. They give the teacher an apple, and and they made it just great. And I used to make fun of them. I used to beat them up in the playground, and I was just a bad kid. And then I started drinking, and I really got bad. Really got bad. And um, I found out for me 
that drinking worked. It got rid of all these bad feelings. Now, all of a sudden, I feel very secure. For a guy who's bashful and shy, I'm a very cocky person, overconfident. The kind of guy would go to a school dance, and I, it, would, it would fascinate me how these kids could go out there and dance on the first tune. And I'd have to stay on the file. I could never get out. I wanted to, but I could never go out and do it. I was always feeling like everybody's looking at me. And uh, once I started drinking, I mean, dango, man, I'm out there. You know, it's a, you talk about a profound personality change in sobriety, start drinking, you're going to go through a profound personality change. To me, the world looks better through rose-colored glasses. And I use it. To me, when I started drinking, alcohol was the answer for all the problems. It worked for me. Anything, it worked too good for me. And uh, the very first time I drank, I got drunk. The very first time I, I, I drunk, I had a, I experienced a blackout, complete loss of memory. I went to school the next day, and some kids were telling me what I did last night and the things I did. And I couldn't remember none of these things. And I hear guys and gals today say they only had a couple blackouts. I always had, I had a lot of blackouts. I mean, I'm the kind of guy, I'd be sitting in downtown Baltimore, maybe at the Pink Pussycat drinking. And next thing you know, I'm waking up in Valero Lounge. I'm coming to you, I'm sitting at the bar, I'm wondering, where was I? What happened, you know? And I can't remember time and distance. But I drank for effect. I drank to feel good. I drank to get drunk. I drank to deal with life. I drank because they really didn't care. I developed a philosophy real fast and real young when I was when I was first started drinking. My whole attitude was live fast, die young, and be a handsome corpse. Let it all hang out. Don't miss no tricks. Go for it. I got married when I was 17. That's a little bit of insanity, but I did it. And um, most kids don't get their, married when they're 17 less than one or two reasons. Either they're crazy or someone's pregnant. And um, I met this really neat gal, and, and we were a little bit of both. And, uh, and um, you know, I always told everybody our son was born uh, premature. We got married April the uh, 25th, and uh, I had a son born July the 20th. I just, I just told him, hell, you're six months premature, he weighed almost eight pounds. And, uh, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm in high school and I'm married. And I'm something different, unique in school. I'm married in high school. And I, so, so I got booted out of high school my senior year. And the following year we had another child. So by the time I was 19 years of age, we had two children. And I used that as an excuse to drink. If you were married and had two kids and then you were 19, you drink too. Had all this responsibility and everything. Well, then our second child died, and I said, well, if your child died, you drink too. And my whole theory in, in sobriety is, as long as you can keep looking out there and blaming other people, places, and things, you don't have to look in here. So I would grab anything and hold on to anything to justify my actions and justify my behavior and my drinking. I was very irresponsible. Now, a lot of people don't like to tell drunk dialogues at meetings, and I'm, I'm going to really get into some sobriety, but... I think it's very important we tell part of our, you know, we tell our story in a general way. And it's good for many, many reasons. Number one, it's good for me. Life's very good for me today. It reminds me of where I came from. I was told a long time ago, he who forgets where he comes from is soon to return to it. So I, I have an opportunity to stand in front of you and share with you part of my story. Also, it's good for the identification for the new person sitting there, that they're in the right place. And um, so this is part of it. But the thing of it is, is, is um, 
I was just, I was just a wild, crazy drunk, very irresponsible. I'm the kind of guy who would go out and start drinking. And I went through different phases in my drinking. Even though I only drank for approximately 10 years. It was fast. It was hard. It was full of a lot of action. Uh, I drank anything I could drink, any time I could drink, anywhere I could. I just drank. And uh, I'm just a plain old alcoholic. I'm just a plain drunk. I'm, I'm not a drug addict or a, we call them in our ways Anna's. And I'm not a, and a drug addict and a gambler and an overeater. And a, I'm, just, I'm just a drunk. That's all I am. But um, I just drank whenever I could. And a lot of things happened when I drank. I usually got into trouble usually when I drank. I'm the kind of guy who sometimes I get all cleaned up like I am this morning, and I start drinking a really a nice high-class joint. I go to maybe Lowe's up on Charles Street. And you notice how when you start out, I was sort of sophisticated that night. And I'd go in and order a drink, and I'd drink a couple of drinks, and I'd go to the bathroom, and I heard about picking up diseases on tall seats and stuff like that. You've got to be careful out there. So I would go to the bathroom, and then when I get finished going to the bathroom, this is really a nice joint, high-class joint called Lowe's. And when I get finished, I'm, I don't even want to talk, touch the toilet handle because I'm afraid I'll pick up disease or something, so I will put my foot up and flush the toilet. Well, what happens, the more I would drink, I started sort of like leaving there and working my way downtown to end up in a place called either Bucket of Blood or North Avenue, or I'd end up at some dive, you know, blood place down off the block. And here from a guy who started out, really neat and clean, tie in place and everything, I got my tie hanging around here, I got my shirt tail out, I'm no longer flushing toilet. In fact, that night before they closed, I'm probably down there hugging the dirtiest toilet you can ever want to find in the whole city of Baltimore. All these things are gone, these feelings and thoughts. That's the kind of drunk I am. I'm the kind of drunk if I'm in a bar and I'm married, I got a couple kids, but if someone said, hey, what do you say to go to Ocean City when we close up tonight? Fine, let's go. We get a couple cases of beer, a couple bottles, and bingo, we go down to the ocean. I'm down there drinking, partying all night. I'm in my early 20s. We had another child a couple years later. And it dawns me, I didn't go home. Man, my wife is really going to raise hell. What I need is a drink. <laughs> so I start drinking, and I start thinking again, which is dangerous for drunks. What, you're going to be one day late, why not be two? And then the second day, you start thinking, well, it's been two days. I mean, why not make it three? I went out one time. I told my wife I'd be back in a couple hours. I was gone for six weeks. Six weeks. I mean, that's the kind of crazy drunk I was. Very, and I go out, and I get involved with all the craziest, wildest people. And there was no holes barred. Anything went. I was any matter when I was home. When I was out there, I was just a different person. And um, so I would constantly get into trouble. I get drinking and I get taillights mine. I start driving a lot, which means I have a lot of accidents. A lot of accidents. I remember I was 17 years of age. I was 16, I got my license right after my 16th birthday in Annapolis, Maryland. That night I was drunk and had my first auto accident. I made a, I was drunk and I'd never been to Baltimore City and heard it was fascinating. I've got to go examine it, check it out. And I was racing a car up the freeway going into Baltimore. And I thought I lost it. And he was on my blind right-hand side. 
I decided to make a right-hand turn, drunk, and he crashed right into the side of me. I had my first accident the day I got my license, and that pattern for me just went on from then on out. I always wrecked cars most of the time when I drank. I also was um, 17. I had another bad accident. I was drinking. I went to a party all night, and um, I got drunk, and I ran off a highway, went up an embankment, hit a tree, and rolled my car down an embankment. Car landed upside down. Some people came along, got me out of the car, took me up to a phone booth, and I called my mother up, and I said, I started screaming over the phone, Mom, I said, you never told me you loved me. You never told me you loved me. And then I just passed out. Anyway, I ended up in a hospital. Two weeks, I was in the hospital. I broke my ribs. I got a knot now on my side. I broke my ribs. I had a concussion. I, I, I just, you know, really hit my face on a mirror. And um, I got out of the hospital. The day after I got out of the hospital, I'm out drinking again. I mean, and, and I was at the first bar I went to drink to, a deputy sheriff came in. And he said, what are you doing in here? I mean, I'm underage and I'm drinking. He said, you just had a bad accident two weeks ago. I said, you know, you know. And I just drank. Anyway, cut a long story short, I got in a lot of trouble drinking. I got in a lot of trouble drinking. And um, I remember one night I was in a bar. Me and another guy were, were shooting shuffleboard. Against two other guys, a couple of girls there. We made a couple of plays for these girls. And um, these guys felt like we, you know, offended them. And an argument breaks out. And these two guys come over. They whip out their wallets. They show us a badge. They said, look, we're police officers. And I suggest you get out of here. And I said, hey, look, I know a lot of guys got this thing. I mean, I knew guys downtown that were police officers had badges. He said, well, really are police officers. We suggest you leave. And a fight breaks out. Well, the next thing you know, I'm being locked up for assaulting a police officer, resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, verbal assault, which meant my filthy mouth. And um, I'm in jail on a Friday night. It's very embarrassing to go to jail on a Monday morning. You sit in jail all weekend. You go to in front of a court Monday morning in front of a judge. You got blood all over the front of your shirt. Your jacket's ripped. Sneezing your pants is ripped. And you're trying to tell me you're just a nice kid. You know? And your mother, your wife, your sister sitting on the front row and they're reading these charges off where you made immoral propositions to this young lady. And it's just embarrassing. But this is what Booth said to me. This is the kind of crazy person I was. And, um, and also being married and being, being the kind of drunk I was, I had a tendency to move a lot. I think it was cheaper to move than pay rent. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm talking about eight times a year. I hear people talking about making geographical cures. I, I hear people, they went to Europe, they went to Canada. I couldn't get out of Baltimore, you know? I mean, I lived in the country moved to the city. I mean, I couldn't get out of the state of Maryland when I was drinking. So it's really fascinating to be able to come down here. But, um, you know, it's sobriety, but... I mean, one time I moved twice in one week. I rented a house in Baltimore City, and, and you, you can imagine this is a high-rent district. You rent a whole house for $17 a week. Two bedrooms and a bath upstairs, a living room, dining room, and a kitchen, a full basement in the backyard. $17 a week. I moved in this place. I come home drunk. I wasn't in there one week. I came home drunk, and I looked across the street. There was a sign in the window, half the rent, $16. I moved across the street for to save a buck. See? I mean, I'm blowing my money like crazy, but I, mean, I would do stupid things. I moved so much, my boss told me to get a post office box. He started changing my address. 
and, and I came from a nice, a nice home. Nice home. My parents took a lot of pride. Now here I'm living up in this house in the city. It's roach infested. I don't know if you ever lived in a roach infested house before. Um, in my area, I never lived like this so I get drunk. And then I was in Baltimore. I mean, they get under your collar at nighttime. You go to work and you're going like this and they're under your collar. They get in your shoes. They get in your lunch bags. I worked on the waterfront. I worked in a factory down the waterfront. I, I was a welder. I did some stevedore work at different times. And uh, I remember I went to work one time. I was talking with this, this guy, and he's looking at me real funny. And one of the roaches had got in my shirt pocket. He's crawling out. He had his head sticking out of my pocket with his tentacles going like this, you know. I mean, that's a hell of a way to have to live, you know. I was, I was young, I was at a party one night, and um, I was drunk, I wasn't used to drinking a lot, and I had ate a whole pizza pie, and I drank a, a case of beer, and I got sick, drunk, I leaned out a second story window to puke, and I fell way out the window. I'm, I mean, hell, I'm lucky to be alive, you know, where I come from. So I thank God for that place, and this saved my life being sued. So anyway... You know, we, we get all turned on about all the big French benefits in sobriety. I'll tell you what I like about being sober. It's a, it's, it's a simple thing. i got a light bulb in every lamp in my house. Okay? Now, when I was drinking, we had two light bulbs. We had one in the kitchen, and we had one in the bedroom. And when you got to go to the bathroom, you take it out of the bedroom and put it in the bathroom. You get done going to the bathroom, you take it out of the bathroom, put it in the kitchen. I mean, I thought that was normal. We, we had our dishes we ate out of was a set of dishes. I don't know around here in our area, they have these, they're called claw machines. It's a machine full of a lot of little things, and they got a pen knife in there. And you crank a handle, and this thing goes over and reaches down. If you pick up the, the, the pen knife, you get the big prize. And I got the pen knife, and I got a set of plastic dishes. And that's, that's the kind of stuff. And my kids are sitting there drinking. And one's drinking out of a Budweiser glass, and another one's drinking out of a National Beer glass. Because I get drinking, and if there's no action in the bar room, I would just take the drink with me to on my way to another bar. And next thing, I got all these glasses in my car, and... That's how I live. It's crazy to have to live like that, but this is how I live. And yeah, we talk about getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what else is neat? When I went down to my mother's hospital uh, Monday, I took my daughter, my grandson, he's five years of age, down there with me. It was neat to be able to go in there from a 17-year-old kid who was screaming on the phone to my mother, you, you never told me you loved me in my whole life. And even after I came in AA, and I got sober when I was 25. I was sober two years in AA, and I told my sponsor, I said, you know, my parents have never once told me that they love me. He said, you ever told them you love them? I said, no, he said, try it. What's neat is I go down and see my mother Monday, and the first thing she does, I go into bed and I hug her, and she says, I love you. And we've been doing this since I've been sober. And this is a fringe benefit of Alcoholics Anonymous, being sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. But anyway, I end up being a crazy drunk, and I end up being exposed, uh, coming off of a drunk uh, in 1964. 
At this time, I had gotten into a lot of trouble in the city. I moved back to the country, and I moved into, in the fall, I used to move into these abandoned summer homes. Now, the people in the city who had money always bought a cheap home on the waterfront, down on the shore in the country. And when the kids got out of school in June, they go down to the shore and they stay at the shore on the waterfront in the summer home until September, and then they move out of there and go back to the city. These people had a little extra bucks, they had a few extra dollars, and they would buy these summer homes. Well, when they moved out in September, I would move in. And the house had no insulation, so you put a kerosene stove in there or, or one of big uh, electric, like space heaters, and you get some extra blankets, and you board up the windows on the waterfront, and you stay in there, and you, and you use it until the pipes freeze. And then you carry water from the neighbor to use it for drinking, and also you can't use a toilet because it's now frozen over and it's cracked. So you have to use a bucket. And I mean, I live like this. This is a highway to live in, in America, United States. I wasn't brought up this way, but this is what these did to me. And I drove a family through this crack, too. And that's when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous the first time. I wasn't looking for AA. In fact, I was in AA almost a week. Uh, when I was 23 years of age, I was in AA almost a week. And it dawned on me that you people are very, very serious about not drinking. And I wasn't very, very serious about not drinking. I was very, very serious about getting out of trouble. And very serious about stopping hurting. And it dawns on me, you're, you're not drinking at all. Never. I mean, you're telling me it's day to time, but I'm watching guys with a lot of sobriety and a lot of anniversaries. And I'm thinking, i got to get out of here. I mean, i got to get out of here. I'm wondering, how can I get... These people... People treated me so nice when I came in, I thought there was some kind of a scam going. No one's never treated me this nice. Picked me up, took me in meetings, gave me time, talked to me, called me up. I figure any day now, they're going to try to sell me some encyclopedias or pots and pans. No one's treating me this good before. And so I would go to meetings when I first came in, and I went around, I told everybody I was in AA. I told everybody I was in AA. And they were all excited. Oh, my mother got a tear in her eye, and my wife was happy, and the boss said, gee, you won't be coming in late and leaving early and missing time and causing trouble on the job. And the bill collector's guy just tickled to death. And now get some money. The landlord's going to get some back rent. And uh, everybody's excited except for one person. Me. I don't want to be an alcoholic. I don't want to be an AA. I don't want to be here. And i got to get out of here. But I'm going to use AA. What's neat about AA is we have a lot of phonies here, but they don't throw none of us out. We throw ourselves out of AA. So I go to me, and I say my name. In fact, you know what? I never used the name Stu until I came to AA. I was all, I've always been known as Stuart. S-T-E-W-A-R-T. But one of my first meetings I was at, they were passing around an anniversary card, and everybody was signing it. Well, I learned in the streets, you don't sign nothing. And if you do, don't use your real name. And I just put down S-T-U. And I've been using that name since I've been sober. <laughs> I never used that name before. My sponsor said, ain't your damn name you got to change. It's your games you got to change. Your name ain't going to hurt you. Your game's going to kill you. And so I'm in AA, and I would leave, and I'd go down to bars. And the first time I went out into a bar room sober, just to go in and drink some Coke, because I was fascinated with that scene. I couldn't let go. I'm like a moth to a flame. I snuck into the bar. 
I didn't just walk in like I usually do. I checked the street. People easy does his stickers on cars and looking for people in AA. And I slide in this bar and I slip up to it. It's jam-packed. Everyone's laughing and smoking and drinking. And I said, could I have a Coca-Cola? And the barmaid, she was saying, okay, and give me, she said, what do you want? I said, Coca-Cola. A Coca-Cola? And, and I felt like a neon sign going off on the top of my head. AA, 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 you know what I mean? I felt so uncomfortable. And um, finally, because I associated with drinking people and drinking places, doing drinking things, I drank after coming to AA. And the same thing happened after I came here that used to happen before I got here. I got drunk. And when I got drunk, I got into trouble. I would usually make a contract a lot of times with my mouth, my tail couldn't keep. And I would constantly get into trouble. And I got drunk that night. I got in a fight. I broke my fingers. I, I, I got in some trouble. And I came off that drunk. And, and I told my wife, I don't know if I can go back there or not. I thought once you came here and you took a drink, you're sort of excommunicated out of AA. That you can't come back anymore. And she said, I think that one guy said, keep coming back. Keep coming back. So I went back. I went back to the meeting. I went back to AA. Reminds me of when I, got, when I got sober a couple of years, my daughter started school. I got sober a couple of years. She went to school. First day in school, she goes to school, she comes back. I said, Dawn, how'd you make out today? She said, not too good. I've got to go back again tomorrow. <laughs> AA is the same thing. We got to keep going back tomorrow. We got to keep going back. And I came back and I told this guy, Larry, he took me to my first meeting, how sorry I was I let him down. He said, you, You're what? I said, I'm really sorry I let you down. He said, I let, You let me down? He said, Look, I'm twice your age. Do me a favor right now. Go in the bathroom and look in the mirror. Take a real good look at yourself and come back and look at me. And I'm twice your age. And let's see who let who down around here. You took a drink, you let yourself down. He said, I'll go to hell for you if you want to stay, if you want to stay sober. If you want to take a drink, you go to hell all by yourself. I'm not going with you. AA is a program. A lot of people need it. It's going to work for the guy or gal who wants it. And so I found myself, you know, sort of hanging around AA for a while and I said, I don't need it. I'm not that bad. All I can tell you is when I went out, it took me almost two years to get back. All I can tell you is this. The same thing happened to me that happens to every drunk I see who comes to AA. And goes out and takes a drink, and he, if he's lucky, he gets back. I've yet to hear one of them come back with a success story. Okay? I've yet to hear one of them come back and say, gee, it's fantastic out there. Y'all come out and join me, and we're having a lot of fun. I'm not having no more blackouts. Uh, I'm not going to jail. I, I don't hear that. I see success stories happening to people staying sober. And I see sad stories in the people who drink. It's just that simple. And so I was lucky. All I can tell you in that two years, a lot of things happened to me. I ended up at a point, I was living in one of these abandoned summer homes in the latter part of November. I got drunk. I came off that drunk, and I got into a fight into a bar room, and I came home, and I just went crazy. I was six foot two, and I weighed 265 pounds, and I went crazy. I was 24 years old. I ran my fist through every wind in that house, the walls, my hands were slashed up, my wrists were cut up. I tried to put my head through a concrete porch, my head was busted. And I remember coming out of this thing going crazy from drinking. And I came out saying, and, and my father and my father-in-law and either a place on a farm and was holding me down and had put a pillow under my head and they were holding me down. 
And I found myself that night in an Apple General Hospital. And two doctors were working on me. And I was coming in out of this thing, and I remember one of them saying something about, you know, we've got to get this kid out of society because if he doesn't kill himself, he's going to kill somebody else. He's gone crazy. And they sewed me up. The next day I went and saw my family's doctor. I'm sitting in the doctor's office, and he says, he says, Stuart, he said, a lot of your problems, you got a lot of problems, but he said, your biggest problem is you're drinking. He said, can't you stop drinking? You're only 24 years old. I said, no, I want to drink now. Found myself being committed to a lot more of a state mental institution. Didn't have any detoxes, didn't have any drying out joints or, you know, treatment centers or anything else. They just, when, when we went crazy from drinking in my area back in the 60s, the hospitals would not accept it because they didn't recognize it as a disease or an illness. It's a moral problem, and they would just put you into a, send you on a funny farm somewhere, put you down there in a goonie roost, and uh, so I found myself going to a state mental institution. There's a locked war facility, and you go in there, and the first four days they take away your belt, and they take away your shoestrings, and you, you use, everybody uses the same safety razor with a lock on it. I'm in there with about 125 of the crazy people, and they're going to do an evaluation on me, and they said, listen, uh, after four days, they said, we've done an evaluation. You've got a lot of problems. Maybe we can help you with some electrical shock treatments and all, but... We think the best thing we can do is send you up to Cottage 15. I said, what do you do up Cottage 15? And they said, well, up there, you go to meetings, A meetings, and you work. I said, well, hell, I didn't come down here to go to A meetings to go to work. And I chose to stay in a nut ward, a locked ward, for almost six weeks. Six weeks. And, and it's crazy, the therapy they used on us. I mean, we did the little thing with making a little ceramic ashtrays, and we made little leather wallets, and... And one of the therapies they had for us is they had all the nut males in one ward and the nut women in another ward. And they put us together and put dance in its therapy. And, and here I am, I'm dancing with another crazy woman from another crazy ward. And we're out there dancing. My wrists are all still taped up and everything. And I'm dancing with this girl and she says, Aha, uh-huh, you tried to commit suicide, didn't you? I said, nah. And she said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. I said, nah. I said, what are you in here for? She said, I killed my husband. <laughs> I said, hell, i got to get me another dance partner right now. Okay, right now. But, but I mean, this is the crazy stuff I was going through. I came out of there, and I can tell you, it never got any better. It never gets better. Until I did get back there in March 12, 1966. I've been here ever since the day of the time. Now, my thing was, I could stop drinking, but I could never stay stopped. How do you stay stopped? Well, it dawned on me there were some people in AA who weren't drinking, and there were some people in AA that were drinking. seemed like some of them got up, and they all got up in the morning, and they got in different lines. This group says, well, we're going to stay sober today. God help us. And I started, decided I'm going to get in the staying sober line. And the other chose to drink. See, I found there's a difference between being around AA and being in AA. I was around AA before. I was never in AA. I never did what other people in AA were doing. I wasn't willing to pay the price for sobriety. So this time I got it. And you know, sort of like the difference, I guess, it would be like if you could get in your room and pull your bed out in the middle of the floor. I'll tell you what you can do with that bed. You can walk around that bed all night long. You can walk around and you can look at it. You get in there and touch it, get in there and smell it, it don't mean nothing to you. Get in it. A is the same way. You can come around here all day and all night. 
but until you get in it, you're not going to get nothing out of it. How do you get in AA? Well, the first thing I was told to do that helps more than anything else is stop drinking. you got to stop drinking to get sober. And I guarantee you this, no matter where you go when you leave here today, and no matter what you do, basically it's none of my business, I'm not an AA cop or anything like that, what you do is your own business. If you don't take a drink of alcohol, it's physically impossible to get drunk. Okay? You may go crazy, you may do some stupid things, you may make some mistakes, but if you don't drink alcohol, you can't get drunk. It's just that simple. Just that simple. I've got to meet one night and someone says, anyone have any questions? Also, I got out somebody's row and I got up in the front. Okay, there you And I raised my hand. They said, what's your question? I said, why me? Why do I have to be an alcoholic? I'm too young to be an alcoholic. I'm 25 years old. My mother and father don't have a drinking problem. None of them. Why me? I mean, I'd rather be a lot of things than now. I'd rather be a firefighter or a doctor or a lawyer. Why an alcoholic? Well, they went around the table and they banged my tail from one end to the other. And it came back, why not you? I mean, what's the great about you that you can't be an alcoholic? And, 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 and the, the guy who put the lid on this thing that turned it around for me was a guy by the name of Jay Miller. He's now deceased, died sober. He came up to me and said, young man, I'm going to show you something. And this man's face is sort of distorted. He said, you see this thing right here? And it's all distorted and, and everything. And he said, that's called cancer. He said, now listen, there's all forms of cancer. And there's forms of cancer you can be treated with radiant, cobalt, etc., operated on, and you can, it can be, you know, taken care of, and you can live a very long and very productive life. He said, unfortunately, he said, for me, I've got the kind of cancer that I can't do nothing about. i got a disease I can do nothing about. If you have to have a disease, thank God it's alcoholism, because there's something you can do about it. All you got to do is stop drinking and start living. He said, my disease has taken that decision away from me. I'm going to die sober. I'm going to die in clean sheets. I'm going to die with friends around me. I'm not going to die in alleyway. So if you got to have something, thank God it's not holism. And I've never looked back on it and been ungrateful or, or unappreciative. And I, I, I openly thank God if I've got to have something, it's not holism. There's a place I can go. There's people who accept me just as I am. And it's the beginning of a brand new way of life. I'm a kid who felt like he was cheated when he first came in AA. He drank for 29 years. I look on it now as the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Almost half of my entire life has been sober in alcoholics anonymous. And I'm watching a lot of other young people here. I met some young people last night who sit on the corner talking at 2.15 in the morning. They got sober in AA in their teens and 20s. It's fascinating what's going to happen to you. So I started doing certain things. That's what I want to share with you. I started going to meetings. I asked the question, so how often should I go to meetings? They said, well, how often did you drink? I said, drink every day. They said, go to meetings every day. Meeting makers make it. you got to go to meetings. Now, there's more to A than going to meetings. You go to meetings and still drink. Don't get me wrong. But you got to go to meetings. The A is not going to give curb service to you every night. Go to where it's at. You went out to get a drink, you're out to get sober. I lost my license, had my car repossessed, had no transportation. They said, you get to the meeting, we'll get you home. Get to the meeting. 
And they also never told me with most treatment centers say you go to 90 meetings in 90 days. They say, just go to meetings until we tell you don't go to meetings. Okay? <laughs> three years later, I didn't miss a meeting for three years. And I'm talking like two meetings a day a lot of times, three meetings on a Saturday, three on a Saturday. I just went to meetings. I was, people think you're stupid to get all those meetings. Well, I'm still here. I'm going to some going. Okay? Meet makers make it. you got to go to meetings. I said, I don't know anybody who doesn't drink. You'll meet them at meetings. You don't meet them in bar room. <laughs> you meet them at meetings. In fact, he said, stay out of bar room. What's fascinating with his white lights and just sitting on in the blue lights and looking at yourself in the mirror, the more you drink, the better looking you get, and you know you're going to get discovered sooner or later. And he said, stay out of all that action. In fact, he said, when you go downtown, you see that light flashing on and off his Bar, B-A-R, bar, B-A. He said, for you it means beware alpha or run. <laughs> he said, stay out of drinking places. He said, you don't hang in a slippery place you may not have. And he said, don't. You know, you, you hang in a barroom not trying to drink is like trying to hang in a barroom and not get a haircut. <laughs> or it's like trying to go get on a diet and go down to the candy shop and look for an answer. He said, you can pray to stay sober. Don't go down the bar and wait for the answer. It don't work that way. you got to go to meetings. So I started going to meetings. And every time he said, you go to a meeting, learn something new. AA is a college of knowledge. We're here sharing our strengths, hope, and experiences. I did not know it was the first drink that got me drunk up in the day. I always thought it was 17 drinks, third six pack or second fifth that got me drunk. Now, I love the analogies about the trains and all. It, it, it's the engine that does the damage, not the caboose. But they presented to me in a different way. My sponsor had a wood shop. And he said, I was going to meet one night and the guy said, first drink got me drunk. I hit my sponsor said, he must be a sissy. <laughs> He's either a sissy, and he ain't like us tough guys, he drank a lot of booze, or I'll give him the benefit of doubt, he's drinking out a gallon glass. <laughs> Never got drunk on one drink. He said, I'll explain to you when we go home tonight. Stopped by his house, went out to his wood shop, he picked up this handsaw, it's called a rip saw. Handsaw, it's got a big round circle blade on it, and they use it for sawing wood, electrical. He turned that thing on, and that blade just went around him, and you couldn't see it. It was going so fast. And the blade stopped. He said, feel them teeth, them teeth. And man, they were sharp. He's going to tell you something. If you bend over, I turn this thing on, and hit you in your rear end, you're going to figure out which tooth did the most damage? It's the first one, okay? You don't get hit with the first one, you're not going to hit with the rest of them. So, so if you don't take the first drink, you can't take the 13th or the 17th or the third six pack or second fifth. So he made it simple. No matter what happens, don't drink. Don't drink. I mean, I went out with, with uh, Jim D. We went out and had lunch. We had some nice Mexican food. I don't usually eat Mexican food. I come down and eat some Mexican food. I ice me being I thought gonna, I thought it'd be nicknamed Blue Flame when I come up here this morning. <laughs> but we talked about even if your tail falls off, they said, pick it up, bring your knees, we'll score back on you. 
Don't drink. I don't care what happens. Don't drink. Not drinking is the most important thing you're ever going to do in AA. It ain't up here. It's down here. And in here, where you live. That's where you got to grab it. Hey, recovery is an inside job. We have a tendency to compare our insides with people's outsides. We think it's something out there magic that's going to work to get us sober. It's an inside job. He's with you to 12 steps last night. That's the program. This is called a fellowship. It's neat we're here sharing this weekend, but I'll tell you what, you can't always be with a fellowship. You're going to be out there all alone sometimes. And it's easy when it's easy. But it ain't always going to be easy. No one promised me a rose garden. No one said I'm going to come in here and live happily ever after and never have to deal with life and problems. It's easy when it's easy. It's easy seeing when the sun's shining out there. But can you sing when it rains? You've got to find out what you got going for you down the road when a tough time hits. So it's like putting it in the bank, put it in the bank, put it in the bank, and then you need a draw, you're going to get it out of there. It's there for you to use. They say, think AA, it'll think for you. So I try to learn new things. And the biggest, the first thing I learned, no matter what happens, don't drink. That's the bottom line. He said, you can't be with the fellowship, but you can always have a program with you. It's a 12-step program. And they would tell me things like, how many steps away from a drink do you want to be? You want to be one step away from a drink or 12 steps away from a drink? There's so many things you can put between you and a drink if you really want to stay sober. I saw sober guys and gals had sponsors. I got me a sponsor. I got me a sober sponsor. Okay. I got me a sponsor in AA. You know, not in some place where he's going to a relapse program. I got one in AA. I got one that's active. He didn't tell me how to get sober. He showed me how to get sober. Anybody can talk to talk. But can you walk your talk? Can you put your money where your mouth is? I mean, I can get a minor bird teacher to say, keep coming back, easy does it, first thing first. But it's, it's, it's can you live this thing? That's the answer. Am I being for real? I question myself about these things. And then the neat thing is, he told me, I didn't have to stay sober the rest of my life. I came in March. You want to worry about Memorial Day? Fourth of July, Labor Day, Christmas, New Year's. He said, we got a secret on how to stay sober during the holidays. I said, what's the secret? He said, don't drink. Don't drink. It kept it that simple. And it was, I would pick up, well, I, I, I start picking up chips and keeping chips. I got my chip with me. We get a little coffee. I got my 23-year chip. I remember I got my 20-year chip. When I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, look at this. Dad, 20-year chip in AA. He said, hell, your mother ain't had a drink in 70 years. <laughs> He said, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. He took pride in all of us, all his seven kids graduating from school and college. Had all their names packed up on the wall. In my name, there's a big, empty space. I got sober. I went back to night school and said, I got a high school diploma, GED. I thought, you don't need no damn brains to get sober. A lot of guys are too smart to get sober. Never seen no one too stupid to get sober. It's, it, it's a program you utilize. You don't analyze. First time I was there, I asked to go speak somewhere. I said, why are they asking me? 
I'm an Archie Bunker with the English language. I said, I'm not a public speaker. I don't have a lot of education. I mean, I hear these guys with all these degrees and everything. I mean, I never got to high school. He said, they didn't invite you because you're a public speaker. They invite you because you're a public drunk. AA is a message of the heart. Not the message of the head. We're not looking for head trips. It's a message. We, we don't go to meetings and hear things. We feel things. We feel the message. We feel our love. We, I can't say, let us love you until you learn to love yourself, and then you can learn to love us back. I hated it. I didn't, when I came back, they, I didn't think I was, I was thought it was too bad for AA. If you really fan out about me, you wouldn't want me here. I went to meet with my sponsor. I got me a sponsor. I went to meet with him, and we're riding down the road. I said, Ed, i got to tell you some things about me. I said, I, I, I can't live like this. i got to tell you some things. And I dumped some garbage on him about me. And I, I thought when I got finished, he's going to pull inside the road and open the door and say, why don't you just do us a favor and get out and come on back. And I, I finished. He said, is that it? I said, yeah. He said, hell, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you about me. He said, when you're too lousy, too rotten for the rest of the world, you're just right for us in AA. You never belong nowhere else. You belong here. I never felt like I belonged even at a family reunion. I never felt like I belonged anywhere until I came here. I belong here. I belong in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've come home. And because I've learned to put the program of my life in here, that taught me how to do it out there. See, it's easy saying sober in AA. It's easy at the meetings. You ever notice how behavior at meetings? Whole new vocabulary when I got sober. I started saying things like, excuse me. Thank you. Would you please? Oh, I'm sorry. I never used words like that before and I come to AA. It's just easy here. But no one's offering you a drink here. The key is not here. It's out there where you live. Can you put it in your life out there? So they said, go in AA and get as much as you can and learn here how to put it in out there. Learn how to live in a, in a, in a... See, society really doesn't care. Most of them don't care whether you stay sober or not. I mean, I can leave here and buy someone's car, ride down the road three blocks from here, pull into a fellow station, tell the guy, hey, my name's Steve Graham. I said, Steve, we're almost going on 24 years in AA. He said, I don't care. Give me $15 for the gas. <laughs> you can go into a, a lunch shop and get a sandwich. So you know I'm sober over 23 years in AA? I said, I don't care. Give me $6.50. People don't care. It's got to mean something to you. It's a personal thing. You've got to like it. You've got to want to be sober for you. A lot of these exciting things have happened to me. So I joined a group. I got me a home group. I got me a sponsor. My home group is, is the Savannah Park Early Birds group. We meet 10 o'clock in the morning on Fridays. I'm in a position I can have a daytime home group. And I love that group. That group accepts me just as I am. I don't have to live up to other people's expectations. Just do the best you can with what you've got. It's a great group. It's my, it's my home group, and I love it. If you don't have this kind of a feeling about your home group, you better find one you have this feelings about it. I found a higher power after I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I choose the call God today. That's why I say I'm sober through the grace of God. When I was into a nut house, it was Christmas, and I took a magic crayon or something, and I took a marker, and I wrote God backwards on the wall, and it said, dog, I don't want to hear nothing about God. When I came in here, you people talking about prayer and all this kind of stuff, my son said, you better learn to bend your knees before you bend your elbow. You better learn how to pray. 
He said, you've never committed a sin too big in your life that God couldn't forgive you for. When are you going to learn to forgive yourself? Don't take yourself so serious. But also, don't try to get too good before next Thursday. You know, just easy does it. Put it into action. Cut a long story short, a lot of things have happened to me. They've been very, very exciting. Coming down here, they're exciting. I walk up into my room, and I want a guy who did get a basket of fruit. In fact, I think I got three of them. But I live with this nutrition, and uh, we eat a lot of fruit, so I just kept those baskets of fruit, eat a lot of fruit. Anyway, um, I walked in my room, and I looked around, and I think, God, you know, this is a long ways from Crownsville State Hospital. I mean, you, you, how, you know, from there to here, I mean, how can it happen? But it does happen. It can happen for me. It can happen to anybody. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. It's coming in and getting sober. I worked in, I was down there welding for years after sobriety, and I decided I wanted to do something with my life. I felt like I had some gifts and some abilities, and they were being wasted. You know, and it kind of gets you out from God. If, if you don't use it, it's almost like an insult. Your sobriety is a gift from God. What you do with it is going to be your gift back to Him. Do something with it. Today we can be part of an answer to part of the problem. It's exciting. So I found myself working my way out of, out, of the, uh, out of the factory. I got into the business world. I got into real estate and insurance business. And I got into the real estate business back in, I guess, about eight or nine years ago when interest rates were really high. But I figured if I get in there and I time this thing right, I'll learn a lot about it. When the interest rates come down, I'm going to make a lot of money. I got into it, but it never came down. And I went broke. My son said, said, you're a bramble goose. I said, a bramble goose? He said, yeah. He said, you ever seen a fall flock of geese heading south and one dumb goose is going north? It's got a bramble goose. And then when they're going north, you got that same dumb one going south. Stand tiny. I went broke. I lost everything. Fourteen years old, I lost everything I had. Financially. I didn't get drunk. Regrouped, started, went in short business. Worked my way from there, and I've worked my way on up. Moved out of the ghetto, bought a house out in the country. From there, I moved into another house. I moved into a house a couple of years ago in an area called Savannah Park, where I live now. Never thought I'd live in that kind of a neighborhood. I used to go in that neighborhood when I was a kid and beat up all these little rich kids in that neighborhood. <laughs> and we were wearing jeans, leather jackets, had a hair comb back and a duck tail. And they had little flat tops, little button-down collars like I got on the, you know, I wear sometimes. Little buckles on the back of their pants and little white buck shoes. And we just go and beat them up. I live there now. But now they're all like MTV kids and stuff like that, you know. And so I'm in this house, in a house I never thought I could live in. I'm in there and, and, and we're in about a week or so. And Nancy and I went out and we went and had the dinner down at a nice restaurant in that neighborhood. I'm sitting there eating dinner, I'm sort of smiling. She said, what are you laughing at? I said, hell, I robbed this place one time. <laughs> Stopped by the drugstore, picked up a newspaper. I said, I robbed this place too. It's amazing what we can do with our life if we stay sober. We can turn things around. It's fascinating. So it's been easy. It's easy when it's easy. It's not always going to be easy. I've gone through a lot of changes in my sobriety. In the beginning, I, went, I, I was really afraid of a lot of changes. 
Today I look forward to change. I look forward to change is great. Hopefully it changes in the positive, not the negative. But even when the negative happens, you can learn through any experience. Any experience. I was at a meeting one time and, and I, was, I was going through a situation with my marriage and everything. And I really got down on myself. And I heard a, a girl told me at a meeting, she said, you know, she said, I'm not perfect, but there are parts of me that are excellent. So I've gone through a lot of changes. I've gone through career changes since I've been sober. Some of them have worked out, some haven't. I'm dancing around with one right now I'm going through. And I don't know what's going to happen to it. I'll see where it takes me. I've moved since I've been sober. I've had some health problems. Nine years ago, they thought I had cancer. I went through a series of operations. They cut a tumor out of my chest. A couple of months later, my gallbladder blows out, and they take my gallbladder out. I think it's drunk. The support system's been here. It's a fellowship of we. We can do it together when we couldn't do it alone. I've never ran away from Alcoholics Anonymous, either at a good time or a difficult time. I just constantly go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I constantly go to meetings. I constantly keep a new person in my life. i got a new guy now with about 30 days of sobriety. When there's a difficult time going in your life, what do you look for? My son said, what step are you working if you're having a difficult time now in sobriety? The answers are in the steps. Get out of yourself. Try to help someone else. Get action. Get active. Action is a magic word. I stay active in AA. I've gone through these health problems. Going through some financial problems. I'm going through a marriage situation right now. I've been separated for like a year and a half. Moved in with an old man in AA, 72 years of age. Full of life, old widower. This guy is so full of life. I know what a year and a half we haven't had a fight yet. He teaches nutrition. He's got me eating grapes and bananas and crazy food. And we don't take it serious. We do an 80-20 plan. He writes music. He plays golf three days a week. Joined AA when he was 66. So full of life. Now he, and he was watching TV. And his name is Bill. So I moved in with him. Had a, he, he was a widow. had a great big old rancher down in my neighborhood where I live. Nine-tenths mom, that nice house I bought. And the and I so far has split the house 50-50. She got the inside. I got the out. <laughs> I don't know where that whole situation is going to take me. We'll take it a day at a time. You pray for her and pray for me. Everything's going to be okay no matter what happens. Bill's all excited. He, he goes to dances every Friday and Sunday night. He says, good for a while. Then they get in all that punk rock music. He said, I think I'll become a disc jockey. 72-year-old disc jockey. Play some ballroom dancing music, he said. Life is exciting. AA's not an insurance contest. It's not a place you just hang in there. Sometimes that's all we can do is hang in there. But you just constantly hang in there, and you're maybe being hanging on the wrong thing. It's not a place where you bite the bullet. It's called the joy of good living. You can have a lot of fun. So coming down here has been exciting for me. I've looked forward to it. I really look forward to it. And since I've been here, I, I got a chance to see Roy again. And when I was down at Odessa about 10 years ago, I see my friend Dave and Grace. I met them maybe 20 years ago. To meet some new friends. They said there's no such a thing as a stranger in Alcoholics Anonymous. We're just friends that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. And it's just simple for me to meet all these new friends. I got a chance to see Jean again. She comes up in our area from working and I was at a meeting about a couple months ago and she stopped in at an AA meeting out of town. She goes to meetings. 
She said, she's from Texas. I went up and introduced myself. I said, I'm going to Texas in a couple of months. She said, I'm going to be there too. I said, what are you doing tomorrow morning? She said, nothing. I said, why don't you come over to my home group? Introduce some of the gals there. Show you what my home group's all about. See, I go to meetings. I just don't go out and speak. I go to meetings. I would not make it without the meetings. I could not have made it without the support system and alcoholics knowledge without my friends. I love AA. Save my life. So again, I want to thank the committee for inviting me down here to share with you. There's always three talks in AA. The one you plan on giving. I had a fantastic talk this morning when I was sleeping in bed. <laughs> I'm not one of these people say, you ought to go lay down because you got to speak tomorrow. I can't sleep. I'm on a street corner out here at 2.15 in the morning talking to some people in AA. I'm waking up this morning, you know, 5 o'clock. I still get nervous. There's a talk we give, and when we sit down, there's a talk we wish we would have gave. <laughs> Three things important about being a speaker in AA. Number one, you should always stand up to be seen. Number two, you should always speak up to be heard. And number three, you should always shut up to be appreciated. I want to thank you for allowing me to come down and share with you, and God bless you. <laughs>